Welcome, everybody. Welcome to part four of the Legendarium's Silmarillion read-along. Uh, today, we're covering four chapters, or sorry, three chapters, chapters 10, 11, and 12 of the Quenta Silmarillion. Now, as a reminder, we have a total of 11 sections scheduled, covering an average of 25 pages each, give or take. Today, we're taking, it's a very short section, it's about 15 pages. Uh, the purpose of this read-along is not to turn us all into Tolkien scholars, but simply to have some fun with a notoriously difficult book and to hopefully glean some of its lessons. If you're not subscribed to the show, you can do so at thelegendarium.com, where uh, you can also find our Patreon link, our YouTube link, Discord, all of that sort of stuff. I'm your host, Craig Hanks, over there. Uh, well, he is... You know what? I'm not even going to insult you guys today. He's Ryan. I don't know what to do with that now. Do something. you got to do something clever. Well... I'm sorry. People. And he's Kyle. I'm insulted by your lack of preparedness. For this. I know. This is okay. So, <laughs> a little background. I we are a little bit less prepared for today in that I I don't have any insults and I don't have a I don't have a uh, uh, synopsis recap. He's run out of insults. We're actually now we've been insulted and there's nothing bad. There's nothing more bad to say about Ryan and I. That's true. That uh huh. People can't <laughs> hear me winking, but yeah, true. Uh, no, just. This week, we are recording or earlier than we normally would because we have some scheduling conflicts this weekend, so it was kind of a, not not quite a last minute, but we only had a little bit of time to prepare for this particular recording, so I apologize. I don't have my normal insults and recap, but I think we can kind of recap off the cuff today. So, this is chapters 10, 11, and 12 of the Silmarillion. Chapter 10 is of the Sindar, so that tells us about Thingol and Melian. This is... Um, Elwe, I think it was, uh, when they, the elves were originally called to Valinor and they were traveling across Middle-earth to, to head there. Uh, a group split off and stayed behind and they took him as their king and he married a Maya uh, named Melian. And uh, they, you know, they were married and become, become lord and lady basically of Middle-earth. They are the lords of the elves uh, in this section of Middle-earth called Beleriand. Um, and so they, they rule in the kingdom of Doriath. Uh, the kingdom of Doriath is eventually beset by orcs. Uh, you know, when Melkor or Morgoth now comes back across the sea, resettles in Middle-earth and sends his orcs to attack uh, the rest of Beleriand. And because of this attack, uh, Melian sets up what's called her girdle, which is not an article of clothing. Uh, but the girdle of Melian is kind of a protective spell in the forest of Doriath around the kingdom of uh, Thingol and Melian. And this will be familiar to anybody who has read The Lord of the Rings. Uh, and if you recall, Lothlorien has a very, very similar thing where it is difficult for anyone to to penetrate into these woods to get into this kingdom because of this magic spell. How it works, I don't know. It's a very soft magic system at this point, right? So, at, at all points in Middle-earth. But uh, how it works, we don't know, but... Uh, it's very, very difficult to get into Doriath because of that. Now, the next chapter is, uh, let's see. So that was of the Sindar. Then we have of the sun and moon. This is Tolkien at his most mythological. I would say even more so than the creation story that we read in the Ainulindale. Maybe not. I mean, maybe they're kind of similar. But uh, in the Quenta Silmarillion, certainly that is the most mythological chapter about how the sun and moon were created from the last flower and the last fruit of the silver and gold trees in Valinor. They're set in the sky. Um, it gets kind of funny uh, when they, they 
screw up how it's going to work. And seven days later, they're like, you know what? Let, let's let's do it this way instead. Okay, now they're going east to west, and uh, you got to you got to stay separated. But at first, it's just kind of chaos, chaos of light, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, the last chapter is of the coming of men, or it's just called of men, and tells how they come to uh, be created in the far east and work their way west and eventually interact with dwarves and elves in the western portions of middle earth it's the shortest chapter in the book as far as i can remember um maybe of Aule and yavana is about the same length but there you go that's what we read gentlemen how did it go how was this section compared to the last one was this right right <laughs> let me let me ask you this did you feel like this kind of dipped back into the setup phase that mm. we had in section two? Yes, right? absolutely. Uh, I Last time when we talked about it, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit more of the story. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit more excited about this. And then I hit this portion and I read through it once and listen, I listened through it once as well. And I'm like, I am not retaining anything other than the sun was an ore, like it was a fruit and the moon was <laughs> this and the gray elves did something and i just it I, I was running into a wall multiple times with this section yeah and yeah so i was like oh i really hope when you said there's no recap i'm like crap <laughs> i i need i, I, ryan, need, I need i need that in like a poem like i need to print that out the ryan's poem about this is the sun was an orange and the moon mm. was this <laughs> Like very, very nice. I like Thank that. You. <laughs> it reminds me of A Knight's Tale. Yeah. You, your breasts are below, below your throat. Your throat. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah, so I would piggyback off of what Ryan was saying and kind of what you suggested. Like, I felt very much like we, we went back into world build mode where it's just like, let me just give you a bunch of names and a bunch of information. And it didn't like, it didn't feel like we were continuing this. I know that we are continuing the story, but it's like, rewind flashback here's all this stuff and i i feel like it actually because he's referencing like we had the unchaining of melkor and then part of this is actually saying okay during you know melkor's uh chained period mm -hmm. here's what happened and here's what happened so you're kind of like rewinding a little bit yep to like bring the next thread up to the current timeline in the story right so definitely re reverting back and huge info dump of and stuff i think for that reason this is a good time to remind everybody that tolkien did not write the silmarillion as a book right these were uh, they, like each chapter each chunk of this is collected by his son from his notes where he'll have written each chapter or you know at least written most of it out uh, so christopher tolkien comes in and and tries to stitch it all together guy gabriel k comes in and is helping him out and I wonder if uh, a lot of the work that Guy Gabriel Kay did was kind of at the beginning and end of each section, trying to do something to bring them together. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, in the very the very first page of this uh, section of the Sindar, um, you know, it has been told the power of Elwë and Melian increased in Middle-earth and all the elves of Beleriand from the Mariners of Círdan to the Wandering Hunters of the Blue Mountain, blah, 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 blah. Um, and it came to pass, the next paragraph is, it came to pass during the second age of the captivity of Melkor that the dwarves came over the Blue Mountains. Those little moments where it's like he's mentioning the, the second age of the captivity of Melkor as a way for us to kind of place ourselves in what we've already read. Mm -hmm. Where 
Tolkien himself, I don't know this. I, I've, I've never read the notes. I don't know for sure, but he may not have written all those little sentences like that to tie mm-hmm. these sections together. Or you get to the end of chapter 11, um, the, the sun and moon, um, and the, the changing, or the, the not the changing of the world that comes later, but the, um, uh, the barrier that's set around Valinor. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see. Thus it was that as Mandos foretold to them in Araman, the blessed realm was shut against the Noldor. And of the many messengers that in after days sailed into the west, none ever came to Valinor, save one only, the mightiest mariner of song. So it's like nobody was able to pass this thing except one guy. Mm -hmm. And it's this little tidbit where it's like, did Tolkien write that? Or is that guy Gabriel Kay coming in and saying, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we had just little tidbits to say, keep reading? Mm-hmm. this you're reading about this thing but it's going to come into play later and somebody is going to get past this barrier um and you know and it's it, the mightiest mariner of song that's kind of a cool uh not not quite a cliffhanger but a teaser i guess i don't know what, what the right word would be but uh i don't know thoughts feelings yeah uh i would say definitely feels i like that explanation because definitely feels like you're trying to orient yourself in the larger history of Middle Earth and and expanded universe, right, right. Um, but yeah, I we I talked about this a little bit before, but I want to go back to that very first page you were talking about uh, on chap- chapter ten of the Sindar, and I want to point something out of the difficulty reading this as a first time reader. It's yeah, probably repeating a little bit from our first episode. But I went and th- I went through and I highlighted. Hey, you know what? If he gets to repeat this much, we get to repeat. Yeah, okay. yeah, we do. So <laughs> I went through it. I went through and highlighted, and I'd have to count really quick. But I would say there's probably thirty different names that I've highlighted on this page in the the first page on of the, the very first page. So for those that are watching on YouTube, you can look right here and see all of the highlighted words. But yes, thank you, Ben White. <laughs> Uh, I've served my purpose this episode. But basically, like, let, I'm just going to rattle them off really quick. To just like This is what's happening on this page is you're getting Tolkien speaking to you in English, telling you the names of elves or dwarven things, and you get the dwarven version of it and the elvish version of it and the English translation of it right? so that you can so g- understand what's going on. So you've got, well... So what did he say? Really, I want to hear your pronunciation. This is going to be fun. Well, there's, let's see. You've got, you've got, okay, even the the first uh, sentence of the second paragraph that you already read, it came to pass during the second age of the captivity of Melkor that dwarves came over the blue mountains of Ered Luin into Beleriand. Uh, Themselves they named Khazad, but the Sindar called them Nagrim, the stunted people and Gonhirim, masters of stone. So how like there's three different names <laughs> so for dwarves, dwarves basically. Yep, dwarves, Nagrim, and Gonhirim. And they yeah they call them themselves Kazad, which means this, and then Nag- Nagrim means stunted people. Gonhirim means master of stone. Depending on which language you want to speak or from which <laughs> lineage you come from. And so, I mean, there's countless examples of that just on this page. Like I said, there's probably 30 different things that I highlighted here. Mm-hmm. That's like, and, and the ask of you as the reader is to keep track of all of this. And right. To that, to your point earlier in, in our series here is 
you've got to read it multiple times to even keep things straight to know what's what and, well, and what what to care about let me bring back another point that i made yes if you want to keep track of all this stuff it is going to take you multiple reads and not two okay it's right. i don't even have a handle on all of those names right, right. from that page um and i i've probably read this thing 20 freaking times right uh so it is going to take you multiple readings if you want to keep track of all that stuff. But the other point that I made is you don't have to don't keep have track to. of all this stuff. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I would say for first-time readers is, again, a, a, a point that I made in probably that first episode is grab a bookmark or you know a sticky note or something and put it on the page in the back of the book with the map. Mm-hmm. You know, the map, the family trees, the whatever. And have that handy because we get the same thing uh, later on in the chapter as different locations are mentioned. The dwarves came down and they ransacked this uh, this place between the this river and that river, uh, you know, and then this forest, and they crossed over these mountains. But it was the wide range or the wide valley between this mountain range and that mountain range. It's it's just head spinning. But if you have that map handy. It's going to help you. Now, that being said, you don't even have to do that. I would recommend it, but you don't have to. You can just kind of let it wash over you. Eh, the orcs are attacking. There's some elves somewhere. Mm-hmm. And as we go, certain words are going to become more and more familiar, certain places that are actually important. Yeah. Menegroth, the, the thousand caves of Thingol. Doriath, the uh, forest where they live. That sort of thing. So... Um, yeah, no, I like it, Kyle. It's, I, I love looking at that page because it's hilarious. The, all those highlights you made, it's, there's your silly Marillion. I don't know if yeah, you have anything I mean, else, but. No, the best one of all of them. The elves interpreted in their tongue, Belagost, that is Mickleberg. Mickleberg. <laughs> Mickleberg. So, Mickleberg. <laughs> that does feel very out of place for the rest of them. Like, <laughs> yes, Kazadum, Dwerodelf, Hadradan, Belagost, Mickleberg. Mickleberg is the English translation. Now, he would have understood this. This is old English, right? Sure. We don't need, we don't care or need to know what it actually means, but that is the English translation. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, I think you're, you're right, Ryan. That is hilarious. It's literally but. the only thing I marked in the chapter was Mickelberg because it stood out to me. <laughs> Ryan's silly Merlin moment. Yes. So, so am I correct in understanding so, greatest of all the mansions of the dwarves was, was Khazad Doom, mm-hmm. the Dwaro Delf. I'm not, I'm going to butcher this, Hadhadran in the elvish tongue. That was afterwards in the days of its darkness called Moria. So, you've got actually four three, names. well, four names, but three dwarven names for mm-hmm. Moria. Is that right? Well, okay, Moria, so, Khazad Doom, and Dwaro, Dwell, Dwaro Delf. No, uh, Khazad Doom is the dwarven name. Okay. Uh, Dwaro Delf. Moria is a Sindarin name. Okay. Dwaro Delf is English. Okay. And as far as I Hod- remember, I, I'm pretty is sure. the Elvish. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got two elven names in English and a dwarven. <laughs> this is more directions than in Middle Earth must suck. I know. <laughs> Turn left at Hadhadran. No, wait, no. Wait, Mor- no, is that Dwaro Delf? Which is, which is okay. Both. <laughs> Who am I talking to? All right, you're an elf. All right, you're going to take a left at. <laughs> you're going to take a Hadhadran at, at the. Uh, I don't know, man. Oh, <laughs> this boy. is way more than Duolingo Lingo will, will uh, <laughs> help me out with. <laughs> if you guys want real-world crazy place names, go to Washington State. Um, anybody from Washington State knows about this. Uh, you know, of course, if you were born and raised and lived there your whole life, they just kind of seem normal. Uh, but if you spend any time outside of the state and then you come back and it's like, 
Yeah, go from Yakima to Mukilteo to, uh, you know, like you just have crazy place names that come from kind of the old uh, Native American names mm. there. And uh, anyway, so you can make fun all you want. I'm just trying to, I, I, I can't even make fun of it if I can't even keep track of it. So I'm just, I'm just suffering this whole time, you know, just sharing my, my pain and yeah. suffering with our listeners. And, you know, for a certain type of person, I, I think for the average reader, this is, uh, like I said, the kind of thing you can just kind of let it wash over you. It's not mm -hmm. that big a deal. It, uh, the story will let you know which, the, which ones are the important ones as you go. But for another type of reader, and Tolkien was absolutely one of them. That's why he wrote this way. Uh, the place name is the interesting thing. So he would travel through the Welsh countryside or the English countryside and come across these place names and go, why is it named that? Why is this thing named, you know, why is this town named Red Stump? Well, you know, okay, there's probably a stump, uh, you know, somewhere, right. But then it gets kind of weirder and crazier in certain places. Why is this thing named that? And there's a whole history behind it. Mm -hmm. And so you come up with a name like Duaro Delph. And it's like, well, geez, where did that come from? You know, in his mind, he's, the whole point is the words and the history kind of interact with each other and uh, mm -hmm. get crazy. And this was what energized him. And while I don't have the same affinity that he did for this sort of thing, I'll admit when I first read it at 17 years old, this stuff grabbed my attention. I enjoyed reading all these different names and trying to pronounce them and trying to understand, uh, like, there's a, on the first page, yeah, you already brought it up. One of the names for the dwarves was, uh, let's see, we have themselves, they named Khazad, but the Sindar called them Naugrim, the stunted people, and Gonhirim, masters of stone. And my 17-year-old brain that had just finished reading The Lord of the Rings starts lighting up. We have Gon and we have Hirim. Well, we have Gondor, which is the, the land of stone. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, the Rohirrim, the masters of the horse hordes, you might mm -hmm. call them. And so, you know, it kind of like lights up some certain part of a, one type of brain, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it works for me. I really enjoy this stuff. So anyway, I guess uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. But it's, <laughs> it is kind of fun that with something like uh, Gonhirrim, Anybody can start to feel really, really smart when you start to make those little connections. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, what, what is the etymology of this? I can actually work this out myself. And you get, ooh, this, I, I feel really, <laughs> I feel really accomplished now. So, all right. So, Ryan, you look like you had something to say or you were flipping through your pages, but I, I didn't want to misinterpret. Did you have something or should I go on to a... You're going to want to go on... <laughs> I'm gonna. <laughs> he looked down at his book like he had something he was gonna. Pull I was up. looking through some things, trying to figure out if there was something, but no, no. Okay, I, that's fine. That's fine. Um, my mind is as firm as the girdle of what's your bucket? Million, so, million. Yes. <laughs> so uh, there's one thing I want to bring up. Um, while there, this isn't exactly an action-packed section. I think it's safe to say that. Um, and don't worry, we'll have one or two more of those still to come. Um, but. It's still, for me, it's pretty interesting to read in part because I see things that I didn't notice before or didn't notice enough to really uh, to jot it down. But I did this time in the first chapter in this section of the Sindar. Okay, so we've been reading for a few chapters about what's going on in Valinor, the, the politics, the, the Melkorization of the Noldor, all that stuff, the Silmarils. And then, like you said, we backtrack and go to 
Middle Earth. Okay, so what's been happening in Middle Earth with the Sin, with uh, yeah, with the Sindar, with the Grey Elves under the the kingship of Thingol, and if you're not careful, it can kind of sound like well, you either made it to Valinor or you were miserable, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, they you've got the the Dark Elves or the Grey Elves or whatever the, the People in Middle Earth who were who were stuck without the light of Amun, without the fellowship of the the Valar, and all that stuff. But this section, this uh, in fact, the first uh, like two or three pages of this chapter make it very clear that everybody's having a really great time. The bliss of Valinor includes the light of the trees, but there is still happiness and you know fellowship and uh, you know their their relationships being built and uh kingdoms rising and inventions and you know all this stuff that that's going on in middle earth and it's made explicit actually after the first section uh, or the second section it came to pass at last that the end of bliss was at hand and it's referring to what's going on in middle earth i don't know i just kind of like this idea that Tolkien is saying, look, just because they didn't live the way that the Vanyar would have suggested, just because they weren't doing everything that the that the Teleri and the Noldor and the whatever, just because they didn't live the exact same way doesn't mean they weren't happy. Mm-hmm. They were happy. It was bliss in Middle-earth as well, even in the darkness, um, the starlight, I suppose. Yeah. So anyway. I, I liked, And I like to call out earlier when Melian tells Thingol... It's not going to be so great all the time. We should build basically a kingdom or a fortress or whatever so that when the end of bliss comes, what is it? What do they say? Uh, second, so page 92 if you have the, our version, but it's this, it's like the third paragraph in chapter 10 and it says, Now Melian had much foresight after the manner of the Maiar, and when the second age of the, capi- of the captivity of Melkor had passed, she counseled Thingol that the peace of Arda would not last forever. And basically they go on and say like... And that's when they uh, started building... Yeah, we should build uh, build a dwelling, a kingly dwelling, a place that should be strong if evil were to awake again in Middle-earth. Um, basically that they'd be prepared for that. Mm. So I thought that was... Yeah, yeah, very nice. Um, all right, so shall we go on to some listener questions? Yeah. Uh, and I do want to thank our listeners. This was uh, last minute. I'm actually, we're recording this before the appointed recording date. So if anybody was hoping to get questions in, um, I will still take questions and we can do a supplemental video after we record all this. Um, you guys are welcome to join. I can do it solo, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but let's go to some listener questions. Here's one from our old buddy, Jafwu. Why did the dwarves get to come along before the humans? Wasn't the whole point of making them wait because Iluvatar's creations had to come first? All right. Anybody want to take a stab? Was it explicitly said that <laughs> all of Iluvatar's creations had to come before the dwarves? Or was because aren't the Sindar and all them still part of Iluvatar's creation? Or are we talking yeah, specifically so men? Yeah, he's talking specifically of humans. Mm-hmm. So, But no, we're not told specifically there's a lot of gray area um and a lot of interpretation as other listeners have mentioned in previous comments um you know this could be like a you know victor's right the history 
kind of thing right this is the history we have and so and it's the elves it's very elven centric and so they're like hey we're the most important ones and you know and it may not have been as clean cut as it's supposed to go elf Mm -hmm. human dwarf it may not be so simple as that of iluvatar's machinations little is told (laughs) we'll get to that in just a second (laughs) um but the other thing i would say is if if it is kind of clean cut that way we also don't know when the when men when humans awoke we don't know uh we know when they entered the story but they could have awoken long before elves ever had any inkling of them right and so yeah we just don't know uh, we do know that the dwarves uh when the dwarves were originally created by Aule, he made seven of them and then had to put them back to sleep and he separated the seven fathers of the dwarves and put them under in seven different places in Middle Earth. And so it could be that, hey, when uh, when humans awoke in the Garden of Eden, right? Because this is Tolkien. <laughs> There's probably Garden of Eden somewhere they awoke in. Um, they awoke in this one specific place. And when dwarves awoke, they kind of, you know, exploded across Middle Earth in a way that humans weren't able to because they were going mm-hmm. from a singular location. Who knows? I don't know. Nobody knows. That's the kind of the fun of mythology like this. But it's a good question, though. It's worth thinking about. So we don't know, Joff Wu. Yeah. So back off. <laughs> um, okay. He he says I'm also kind of curious to know more about Menegroth, but I probably just need to raffo or open a wiki. So raffo meaning read and find out, um, or open a wiki. Yeah. Just keep reading. You'll. Uh, th- this is Menegroth is kind of the center of. Uh, geographically and um, and narratively, it's kind of the center of the happenings in Beleriand. So, uh, yeah, you will learn a lot more about it. But the gist of it is that, um, and I, I find this interesting, actually, the elves in the First Age, uh, the most important kingdom of the elves is in Menegroth, and that is a cave system, a, uh, a man-made, for lack of a better word, elven and dwarven-made cave system. So they were dwelling underground. So we should we we get a, an echo of this in the Hobbit, right? When he meets the elves in Mirkwood, they mm-hmm. live in a cave system underground, um, and so this is kind of a, a similar thing. But it's you know we always think of like well the elves live in trees and stuff, and dwarves live in caves. Well, no, the elves lived in caves too, but they were dope caves. I will say, I, I very much have that image in my mind from the nineteen seventy whatever Hobbit cartoon <laughs> yeah. of those Mirkwood elves. And anytime I think of Thingol, I think of that king of the Mirkwood elves. Mm. Like that's the image that I have. <laughs> and then it was talking about Ungoliant going off and where was it like dwelling somewhere? And then I'm thinking of Mirkwood. Like I know that it's not the same thing, but that is the imagery that I was that I was uh, coming up with as I was reading through this chapter. It was very much if you haven't watched the 1978 cartoon, the Bakshi cartoon, yeah, yeah go Ralph, watch Ralph it because it's a delight. It is. Uh, it is something. Did I ever tell you I've got the um the book version of that oh really it's kind of like a comic book but it's literally the same art from the cartoon they just took stills from the cartoon Hmm. and made it into a comic version of the hobbit it's pretty good pretty good graphic novel yeah i like it um okay let's move on to another uh another comment this one from felicity what do you think of the theme of destruction let's see Oh, the theme of oh the theme of destruction often brings forth unknown or unthought of beauty so, in this case, the destruction of the trees leading to the sun and moon bring about a beauty in that world that was before unthought of. 
In The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, Rivendell and Lothorian are both beautiful due to the loss of the first two ages. Rivendell is a place of constant peace, which can't be appreciated as much without the memory of war. And Lothorian is the physical embodiment embodiment of the world that once was. Um, yeah, thoughts and feelings. Ryan? It's not even 7.30 in the morning, so you have no excuse. I know, I know. <laughs> this is 100% me just n- not understanding the piece very well. Yeah. Um, but that concept, the idea, especially when we get into the section about the, the sun and the moon, uh, the trees basically giving their last bits of themselves to create one more piece and give that, I think is beautiful. I've always loved... Uh, when it was first pointed out to me and and uh, that a big theme of a lot of the work in Tolkien is, is the idea of dealing with uh, sacrifice and loss and things like that. that there's a lot of, there's a ton of that that runs through all of his works. And to see it here and to see what eventually it becomes and what it gives to the world as a whole, literally, you know, it, the sun and moon, the light and the dark, the, the light and the light in the dark. Uh, I think is is beautiful. It's a beautiful setup there, um, and a great way to to showcase that. Um, but it does require that you understand just exactly what those trees meant beforehand to realize just how big of a sacrifice it is to have their last act be giving those things, giving the the fruit and the flower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a another comment that I'm going to cut it kind of tie with that one from Felicity. Uh, Lady Sweden asked. So do we know why the Valar didn't keep a contact and relationship going with the elves of Middle-earth? Melian was a Maiar, after all, and could have been a go-between. So what's, like, what gives? Why the favoritism, right? And I think it's kind of tied into that uh, that comment that we we're just considering, uh, where the Valar are learning. They are not omnipotent. They are not omniscient. Uh, they are lowercase g gods, but they are not god. And... So they're learning as they go, and I kind of feel like there's something to the idea of they're learning that interfering has consequences. In fact, it's kind of made explicit at at some point when they feel like, um, okay, the hour is approaching, humans are about to awake, should we go and like take care of all of these fell beasts and Morgoth and all the stuff like we did when the elves awoke? But then they stop and they think, well, hang on a second. When we went to war the first time and subdued Morgoth before the elves awoke, uh, it was a, it was a giant disaster. You know, mountains were thrown down and seas were sundered and, you know, earthquakes and tempests and wars and rumors of wars and whatever biblical language you want to throw in there. It was chaos. Uh, and so they said, well, hang on, we don't want to necessarily do that again, especially when we know or at least suspect that humans will not be as hardy as elves, as able to withstand that kind of uh, fear and chaos. And so they hold off. Um, so they're learning as they go, just like everybody else is on Earth. And one of the things I think that they're learning is, first of all, that like I said, um, interference has consequences. And because they are the mightiest forces on earth, the consequences are similarly, you know, bigger than it would be for other uh, forces in the world. Um, And they're also learning this lesson, which is that uh, just because something bad happens doesn't mean something good can't come out of it. There's a quote uh, 
and I I wish I had um, I wish I had uh, highlighted it. I wanted to actually literally literally get a highlighter. I only had my pencil with me, and so I, I didn't highlight it. But it's it's something along those lines where it's made very explicit that they're figuring out that. Um, they, oh, you know what? I can find it. Let me let me find it because Mandos said. Um, okay, here we go. So this is Manwe. Um, after Feanor and the Noldor leave, Manwe wept and bowed his head. Um, then at the least, the let's see, blah, 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 let's skip that. Okay. Okay, so Feanor, Feanor's last words as he left were uh, that at the least, the Noldor should do deeds to live in song forever. And Manwe raised his head as one that hears a voice far off. And he said, so shall it be. Dear bought, those songs shall be accounted and yet shall be well bought. For the price could be no other. Thus, even as Eru spoke to us, shall beauty not before conceived be brought into Ea, and evil yet be good to have been. And Mando said, and yet remain evil. So it's a really great passage that uh, evil yet, uh, let's see, beauty not before conceived will be brought into Ea, and evil yet be good to have been. So it will be good that evil existed. Because it allows us to bring in beauty that has never been, that has never existed right. or to this level. Right. And Mandos makes it clear that that may be the case, but evil is still evil. So mm-hmm. we can't say that evil is good, but we can say that some things that are good were only possible because of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, very, very long-winded and roundabout way to answer that question. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about with like the piece of, Arda and and the the uh, captivity of Melkor and that there was a peace and everybody experienced that peace and they wouldn't have the same appreciation or the same experience of that peace if they did not know the opposite of that right. when Melkor was free. Right. So, yeah. And uh, before we go on to our next point, I do just want to point out that Kyle just rattled off the peace of Arda and what was the other one that you said? The captivity, the captivity of, Melkor. of Melkor. And by the time we get a few more chapters in, you're going to be like, oh yeah, and then the girdle of Melian. I'm going to be speaking Elvish, and my <laughs> hair is going to grow real long on the sides. That's right. And I'll have a bow. And I'll, I'll braid it. It'll be great. For you. Yes, yeah. exactly. Brush <laughs> so, it very gently. Please. All right, let's go on to the next one. Um, Hang on, I got something. Oh, I got a question. I'm sorry, go on. So as I'm reading in the Of Men chapter, and you get a whole bunch of names in this third paragraph for what they're referred to. Yeah, mm-hmm. they name call them in pretty quick. Yeah, like a ton, a ton of them. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, no. Before you go on, there is a relevant question, which okay, is from it. Lady Sweden who asks, which is your favorite Elvish nickname for men? Okay, okay so with that so, in mind, go on. So my question is, so I know that these are Elvish nicknames for them, but is this a commentary on Tolkien's uh, opinion of humanity in general? Because okay. think about all of the... Okay, Maybe it's just okay. This is what the elves think of them, but there's so many. There's, there's <laughs> oh, yeah. the second people, the followers, afterborn, sickly, mortals, usurpers, strangers, inscrutable, self-cursed, heavy-handed, night-fearers. Uh, so like the children of the yeah, sun. Those don't seem to be flattering uh, nicknames, right? And not a great commentary of humanity in general. So I'm curious, like. It could just be coming from like the elves, obviously, but right. uh, is that a commentary from Tolkien? 
Yeah, I I would limit that a little bit. I know he's not he's not much on allegory and stuff like that, but right. No, I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I've, I'm on record <laughs> saying that he can he can say all he wants that he hates allegory, but he used it. Yeah, <laughs> let's uh, let's not kid ourselves. Sure. Um. So yeah, what do we make of that? First of all, I guess let's answer Lady Sweden's question first. Sure. What's your favorite of those? I Ooh, think um, I mean I okay. love the word inscrutable. Oh, that's my favorite I, one, Kyle. Nice, yeah. but I do think uh, the the funniest one to me is sickly, <laughs> just mm. the sickly. Uh, and I, don't know, I I really like I like the idea behind self cursed. Mm. Um, I think that that's actually pretty. I mean, most of these are pretty spot on when you think of humanity in general. When you're thinking of the the negative side of mm-hmm. you know humanity, there's obviously a lot of positives and things but i feel like the words chosen were very very much accurately describe uh the worst of humanity well there's something about these that i remember listening to it and i had my initial thought was that's a lot of name calling for the for the men here but (laughs) some of them i really want to know why they are called that i'm so glad you asked this some of them like i have no like firamar i have no engwar i have no reference for um I like, but like the self-cursed, that one to me, I'm like, I don't understand why you would call them the self-cursed. I don't know that one. So yeah, so feel free but, to enlighten. But you do in a way. So remember that um, this is a history. It's not a straightforward narrative. So all these names, it's not like, uh, it's not like an elf saw a human for the first time and gave them a crap ton of nicknames, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about <laughs> nicknames that were acquired over thousands of years. Um, and through many of the stories that we're going to read coming up in this book. And Ryan, you have read Turin Turambar. Okay. Uh, and if you, I, I don't know how much you recall of that. It's a, it's quite a wide ranging story, but if you recall that story, it's very easy to see why so, like an individual human would be the self cursed. Yeah. Right. Um, and then you spread that out across uh, many humans who make similarly stupid choices uh, throughout their lives. And, and, you know, and then the elves being kind of jerks sometimes <laughs> start to just call all humans the self-cursed, right? Um, so, yeah, these are, these are acquired over a long period of time. I really like uh, the inscrutable because I like the concept that, um, and this goes back to Ainuling Dale, or what I, I can't remember which chapter it is, but where it's first mentioned that the elves don't know what happens when humans die. They also don't know what happens when dwarves die, but with, with humans, it's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, a bigger deal in Middle Earth, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when people die? What is their relationship with God? What is their relationship with the Valar? Um, this, they don't understand how humans work. <laughs> And, and like why God made them. And so, yeah, I, I, I love that nickname, mm-hmm. the inscrutable. I really like heavy handed as well, mm. because I think when you think in in many terms, but you think of like, what is it that the, that the elves uh, value? It's like the beauty of things. They have their songs. They have their uh, even like the craftsmanship of what they do. It's all very elegant and beautiful. And, and you compare that to, you know, things that the humans make or say or do and it's it just feels very heavy-handed um and it's it's different from like because like they talk about the dwarves being master craftsmen right right 
Um, and you could probably even say like the dwarves are probably heavy handed in some ways compared to the elves, but the, the humans just, I mean, it kind of ties back to the idea of like the second people they're they come second, but they're like, and in, in terms from like, if you're looking at this from an elvish point of view, they're a lower tier, uh, being. Right. So, yeah. Um, and I also, with heavy handed, I like the idea of them lacking, um, lacking finesse. Yeah, right? so, Not, they don't have the grace of right speech, so, <laughs> of song, of craft, of just thought. Earlier, anything. earlier today, I was listening to some music um, on vinyl because I'm a hipster. I was listening to some music, and it's really, really well crafted, really gorgeous music. It's got subtlety to it. I mean, that's maybe a, a good word to use here for the elves. It has subtlety. And there's one, uh, it doesn't matter what the song is, but there's one chord change that is just devastating. Just so good. Um, I, and I'm, I listened to it and then the record was over and it stopped and I'm sitting there in the kitchen with my eyes closed and I'm running through to my head and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is that chord change? They go from this to, is it, is it, you know, a diminished fourth and, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what this is. What is that chord change? And my wife walks into the room and starts singing, man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> and nothing against that song. It's a fun song, right? It's, but it lacks any subtlety, right? <laughs> and she totally broke this spell in my mind. And I started busting up laughing. She was like, what, what's going on? <laughs> and I explained to her what was going on. But, uh, you know, maybe it's a similar kind of thing where it's like, I am trying to figure out art here. I'm getting in the nuance here, human. <laughs> And you're coming in here singing Shania Twain and wondering where your boots are. Exactly. Like, so, you know. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> so that was a good question from Lady Sween. Do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about with that, Kyle? Nope. Nope. Okay. All right. Let's go on to another one. Um, all right. Marquillan. Uh, or if, if it's French, Marquillan. I don't know. Marquillan. I wonder how Yavanna expected her seeds to come forth in the West when light was all contained in those trees that would, uh, that mostly were blocked off by the huge defensive mountains. Sometimes the Valar seem a bit hapless and reliant on destiny. Fair enough. Uh, the fulfillment of no grander staple in our lives than the sun and moon couldn't have come without Mr. and Miss Greed and Envy incarnate. Um, I think there's a lot of creation stories like that. Okay, so are the Valar hapless? How... Did Yavanna expect her seeds to come forth? Uh, it's a good question. It's a good question. Um, okay, so let's track the history of that. Yavanna starts creating all of these uh, plants and animals, all the things that live and grow in Middle Earth. Uh, creating or cultivating maybe is the better word, I guess, since she's not Eru. Um, but, uh, okay, so she starts doing that in the, the time even before the First Age. If we recall from the very first chapter, there were those huge lamps in the north and south of, of the earth. And so they're lighting everything and everything is growing. And then Morgoth breaks the lamps because uh, he's a jerk. Okay, so Morgoth breaks the lamps and then Yavanna casts all of her living creatures into a slumber. She doesn't kill them. Uh, from what my interpretation of that, and this is kind of headcanon, it's not like everything literally stops growing uh, stops moving, stops breeding, whatever. Everything just slows way, way down mm -hmm. because, you know, everything exists and lives off of light ultimately, right? All, uh, all life comes from the energy that we get from light. Um, 
and there is light. We have starlight in Middle Earth, but uh, things are slowed way, way down. And then as, um, uh, as things progress in these chapters, things start to wake up. Uh, you know, the moon comes out and things start to stir with a little bit more light. And then the sun comes up and really kicks things into high gear. Uh, okay, so the question is, how did she expect her seeds to come forth when all the light was destroyed by those, um, uh, or in the trees? Or how did she expect them to come forth when the trees were created in Valinor and weren't lighting up Middle-earth in the first place? It's a good question. But remember that while the Valinor aren't omniscient and they're not omnipotent, they do have a lot more information than anybody else in Middle-earth, and they know that they know some of the broad strokes of what is going to happen. Um, and so her putting them to sleep was with the knowledge that one day they would wake up. Things would accelerate again. That's the best I got. Yeah. My mind kind of goes to like science fiction where it'd be like, you put somebody in cryo sleep to send them off. However many light years away to colonize a, you know, mm-hmm. like we don't know if it's actually going to make it there or if it's going to happen, but we're just going to make, you know, we're going to put it in, in cryostasis with the assumption that, Things will work out. And see, I went to them putting the entire kingdom to sleep in Sleeping Beauty, the child children's <laughs> Oh, movie. yes, there you go. <laughs> to wait, she's now been poisoned. We're, so she's asleep. Everyone's going to sleep till this gets solved. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like it. Done. That works for me. That not that what we've done with the pandemic? Just shut it down until this is solved. Everybody, Everybody just sleep to your apartment. Everybody sleep. <laughs> and we see how well that went. Uh, yeah. All right. Should we do a word of the day? Word do you guys like day. a word of the day? Is it anon? Anon? Is anon? that what it is? Anon? We yeah. could do that one. I, was, I, I thought that might be the one that you'd pull up. No, the one I got is leaguer. Leaguer. L-E-A-G-U-E-R. Leaguer. Okay, so what does that immediately make you think of? Should bring two words to mind. Little leaguer. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, He's yes. a little leaguer. That works. That works. Yeah. Um, league. Mm-hmm. which you know a, a group um i don't know a, a confab of some kind right a, a league uh and then beleaguered so if something uh, is beleaguered it's beset right mm-hmm. and so it's obviously got to have something to do with these uh and i so i looked it up a leaguer was uh, a, an old word for um a military encampment huh. uh or you know uh, what's the word i'm looking for a siege a siege was also known as a leaguer. It was a military encampment. Um, and so this one is, uh, just for a little context, um, it, when all this stuff is going down in Middle-earth, the sun and moon are there, but more they haven't shut down Morgoth, and there's all these fell beasts, and they, they put up all the islands to stop people from getting there, um, to getting, getting to Amman. Uh, and then they raise up the mountains even higher and make the the eastern face of them sheer so you can't climb them and they leave one uh pass it's that pass with tuna right Tyrion Mm -hmm. on tuna and uh so that's the only pass through the mountains that they leave open um but in the calicaria that pass uh, they set strong towers and many sentinels and at its issue upon the plains of valmar a host was encamped so that neither bird nor beast nor elf nor man nor any creature beside that dwelt in middle earth could pass that leaguer so there you go. There's your word of the day. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, all right. I, I feel like I had one other that was kind of interesting, but um, I may have lost it in my notes here. That's all right. We got we got a word of the day. We got a silly Marillion bit. You guys have anything else you want to talk about with this section? 
I know right. I just doesn't. we we touched on it a little bit, but my favorite thing has been the <laughs> You're trying to get in my girdle. Get out of here. When you when you were talking about what's his name that was trying to piece things together and saying like maybe this is a little tidbit that they're throwing in. Mm. Oh yeah, Tolkien's guy Gabriel K. Yeah. Just how many times of men or of this little is mentioned or li- little is told or whatever there right. that probably happened four or five times in the string of 15 pages and just interesting because it's it's simultaneously like let me give you this deep backstory of what's happening and then but also we don't know anything so there's yeah. like a sentence of like of oh, men little is told right Anyways. yeah i i like those um for the reason you just mentioned it's you know it's kind of fun little uh hint at some backstory but also i think those come up often in these individual excerpts that mm-hmm. christopher tolkien is pulling together and so uh so professor tolkien may very well have been getting to these moments <clears throat> excuse me and saying little is told here mm-hmm. i'm not going to get into this here you often also run into um as is told elsewhere here's one sentence of a thing that happened and it's actually a whole page in this or it's a whole chapter in the Silmarillion and he's just it, as is told elsewhere uh, the elves awoke in the east you know Lake Quivienne mm-hmm. and that's a whole section of the book right and I think that happens a lot um, with those sections so I think it's both of them and, and I don't know which one's which right but uh, oftentimes it's it's just that not a lot is going to be told here mm-hmm. Um there's a lot of those uh, like little moments in, um, uh, let's see if I get back to the, the great foreshadowing moments that come from this being a collection of legends. I kind of talked about this at the very beginning of our conversation, but uh, there's a line, um, blah, blah, blah. Oh, he's talking about um, the, the alphabet that the Sindar come up with and they transmit that to the dwarves and the dwarves end up using that in the eastern portions of middle earth so the um the kirth or that's the alphabet that's the runic alphabet so if you remember the doors of moria Mm -hmm. with the runes all over it that's the kirth and so the that's invented by the sindar um let's see but they were little used by the sindar for the keeping of records until the days of war and much that was held in memory perished in the ruins of doriath and then it goes on and so I, whether it's that or whether mm-hmm. it's much is told elsewhere, I love those little bits of foreshadowing where it's, what, what do you mean? The ruin of Doriath? What do yeah. you, <laughs> I need, I what's going to happen? I need an actual Tolkien scholar to go find all of those instances in the, in the book and then see if there is an actual connection mm-hmm. in other works or if it is just a placeholder of like, I need this to happen. So we don't know all of it, but <laughs> suffice it to say that men are here now. So here we go. You so I mean, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a, a mix of both, where it's like, right. you know what, the details aren't important, but they're here. Yeah, here we go. There is a Tolkien scholar that did that for you. Excellent. Is that you? Nope. <laughs> 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 no. Uh, his name is Christopher Tolkien, mm-hmm. and if you look on that shelf, you'll see the twelve volumes of the History of Middle Earth. Excellent. That answer exactly that question. All right, I'll I'll report back in. <laughs> 57 years when I get through it all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, all right, let's let's uh, let's go ahead and call it there for now. Um, the one thing I regret that we didn't get for this episode was any questions or comments from our uh, 10-year-old listener um, that we've had the last few episodes. And so, if you're listening, send in your question anyway, you know, if you haven't already. And I'll be sure to, I'll be sure that that gets answered 
outside the Patreon paywall. Okay, so yes, I, I will commit to that um, one way or the other. You guys feeling good? Should we call it there? Okay. Next up, uh, <laughs> sorry, I didn't even let Ryan answer. Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's fine. I have contributed Ryan, good? so much. Ryan, we're, we're done. We're done recording. Wake up, Ryan. Yep, 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 yep. Sorry. <laughs> so the next section... And Ryan had many thoughts, but they were not listed <laughs> they here. They were not listed here. <laughs> the next section is going to include a few chapters, the return of the Noldor. So, uh, in fact, I love the uh, how we end this section, which is um, the... Uh, Elrond name drop. Well, yeah, there's the Elrond name drop. Is it, maybe it was the end of the Sun and the Moon when um, it's it's somewhere around there. We we end it with um, the the elves. Oh yeah, the rising of the moon. The when the Noldor set foot back on Middle Earth and then burned the ships. Mm-hmm. That was the day that the moon first arose. Um, that was at the same time. So it talks about the moon rising in the west at that point. And so when they burned the ships, the moon was actually casting their long shadows into Middle Earth the the Noldor as they were standing there. It's a great little great little passage. Um unless that's uh unless that's the first uh yeah that might be no no yeah I think that's the that's the end of this section. So anyway. Uh so we're gonna get back to the Noldor and what they're doing, setting up their kingdoms. And then comes the chapter a, a lot of people really enjoy this chapter. I find it uh the least enjoyable of any chapter in the Silmarillion. Uh, it's not the very next one, but it's uh, chapter 15? 14. Chapter 14 of Beleriand and its realms. This is the prose map. Mm. So prepare yourselves. Just know that it's coming. Um, this is how we know where everything is. Again, you don't have to retain all the names. Just let it wash over you. Um, is yeah. that, it's, it's the map quest of Silmarillion. <laughs> sure. It's the prose map. Just all the directions printed out. There you go. Perfect. Yeah, I like it. Anyway, so yeah, we'll get to that section. If you want to see the full uh, the the full schedule, then you can go to you can go to Discord, and the schedule is pinned on uh, the the Tolkien or in the Tolkien channel there, um, and that um, that schedule will tell you which chapters we're going to read and when they're coming out. So please go check that out. If you can't access that, I think it's on Reddit as well somewhere. So uh, yeah, because I don't really use Reddit much anymore. Regardless, thanks everybody for watching slash listening. We will be back for the next section of the Silmarillion in a couple weeks. Until then, I guess I'll see you guys next time.